Welcome to This Is Comp, a series of Discord and Ryan mini-sos where we talk about various artist compilations, song by song. You can get this on our main feed, like you would get normal episodes, but you can also get early access to these episodes by donating to our Patreon at the $3 level at patreon.com slash discordpod. I'm Phil Maddox, and I'm here today with... Rich Bennell. And Amanda Rogers. And we'd like to invite you to say hi to us on Twitter and tell us where you're listening from. We're there at Discord Pod, and we really love hearing from you guys. So if you want to send do. us- We so do. If... We do. Seriously. So if you, you know, want to say hi or tell us that we're stupid or tell us that, you know, you love our takes or, you know, whatever, just uh, give us a ping. We love hearing from our listeners. Yeah. Add us your hot takes. Many thanks to the Hector Collectors and Kenneth Crayley, who helped us out with the original music for these episodes. Yeah, longtime friends of the podcast. Yep. We are currently still working our way through the Nuggets compilation. In this episode, we're going to be covering Disc 2, tracks 16 through 23. So, does anybody have anything they want to say before we get started? Uh, Just that I'm not a big fan of this next song. I don't think any of us are. Nobody is. No, this song is a loser. All right, well... With that glowing endorsement, let's get into it. This is The Trip by Kim Fowley. Summertime's here, kitties, and it's time to take a trip. To take a trip. This world's so bad. You feel so sad. You gotta take a trip into a world so glass. A world of frogs and green fountains and flying dogs and silver cats. And purple clouds And faceless crowds And walls of glass That never pass And pictures hanging upside down You won't ask where you are Okay, Kim Fowley's The Trip was released in 1965. Fowley was from Los Angeles and was a producer, songwriter, manager, cult figure, and generally despicable human being. Uh, so just a quick content warning, this artist has been accused of sexual assault, and it's hard to discuss him without discussing that. Uh, so just we just want to note that. Uh, yeah, just skip ahead a minute or so if you don't want to hear that. Yeah. Fowley put together the original lineup of The Runaways, uh, the all-female the all 70s rock band with uh, Lita Ford, Joan Jett, uh, etc. And, and um, after his death in 2015, mem- original member Jackie Fuchs accused him of drugging and raping her in 1975. Uh, We won't go into detail, but her account is part of the extensively researched Huffington Post piece, The Lost Girls, uh, which makes it clear that this was not an isolated incident and that Fowley was a predator who used his cult of personality both to enable his actions and to protect himself. Hmm. And this song sucks on top of it. It does. He was not a good songwriter either, if this track is any kind of representative sample. I, I really dislike his lame attempts at surrealism and the annoying shouted delivery and stuff like, you know, just close your eyes, it's groovy now. You know, like saying a thing doesn't make it true, Kim, which seems to be something he had trouble with just in general. Yeah, it kind of feels like a linking track that bands play live while the singer goes to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. So long before uh, all the accusations about Fowley came out, this is uh, probably the single worst song on any of the five Nuggets box sets that I own. 
uh, because there's Nuggets, Nuggets 2, Children of Nuggets, San Francisco Nuggets, and Los Angeles Nuggets. And yeah, 20 discs of Nuggets. This is probably the worst song. It's two chords. There's nothing interesting. It's lame. Like, it sounds like he's trying to cash in on, like, the whole psychedelic phenomenon. I mean, I guess he gets points because this is pretty early. Yeah, it's an, it's it's a really early song about the psychedelic experience while the Beatles were still taking speed, right? Yeah. In 1965. Yeah. But, like, there's nothing of interest here outside of historic interest. Like, it's interesting historically because of how early it is, but, like... I would never listen to this for fun. I would listen to this because it's like, it's an interesting example, I guess, of like psychedelic music before people figured out how to do it. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like songwriting skill, even Louie Louie is better written than this. Oh yeah, Louie Louie's got like four chords. Yeah. A song we're going to hear eventually. I'm looking forward to that. The only other thing I have to say about Fowley, uh, he was a horrible human being, but he was also a workhorse. He kept putting out albums until he was actually literally on his deathbed. Uh, He wrote several of the songs for Ariel Pink's 2014 album, Pom Pom, uh, an album I've heard, but I'm not in a hurry to hear again now that I know that. Well, with that unpleasantness out of the way. Yeah, sorry to start this episode with that. Right. It's going to get better, you guys. It's it's going to get way better. It's going to get way better real fast, because up next Mm -hmm. we've got The Seeds with Can't Seem to Make You Mine. Okay, so the Seeds are a repeat band. We already heard them on disc one, uh, original Nuggets, with Pushing Too Hard. And I just made Amanda grimace. <laughs> hmm I wrote in our notes that I don't have real strong feelings about this song either way, but listening to it just now, I realized it is really annoying. I do. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point, I just don't like the Seeds. I have to say, I do like that goofy, off-key guitar fill at the end of each line, but that's... Super whiny vocal really gets on my nerves. You know, it seems like he's playing it up for effect. That's his style, and I can see how people would like it, but I very, very, very much do not. I, I like this one. I mean, it's certainly yeah, better than the Kim Fowley song. Um, but that's a real low bar to clear. <laughs> right. It, yeah, yeah, it benefits from sequencing for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean, this one's got like, again, I really just kind of like this 60s garage rock production. You, you can like, write a pretty mediocre song but if it has like this kind of like twangy guitar like you know hard-hitting drums like you know garagey like driving production i'm going to enjoy it like this isn't as good as pushing too hard because that's kind of gone down as a classic and like if it has a flaw it's a little repetitive but like most nuggets it's like two minutes long so you can like 
it never really gets on my nerves. It would get on my nerves if it was like three and a half minutes long, but at the duration it is, it doesn't bother me. It kind of reminds me of Jack White. I guess that like I guess one's opinion on this song could rest on one's opinion of Jack White. But I I I, I personally really like it. It's not as much of a rush as pushing too hard, but uh, the atmosphere is just so thick. And uh, if it sounds familiar, uh, listeners, it's because it was used in the first episode of Stranger Things, a show that you statistically have probably watched. I have not. Neither have I. I figured. (laughs) I'm I'm in a podcast with olds here. Yeah. (laughs) Which, and you know, Stranger Things, though, is aimed right at people about our age. Yeah, it's like 80s nostalgia. That's usually my jam, but I just never got around to it for whatever reason. My husband really liked it. I kind of wandered in and out of the room while it was on, but... Just never really paid attention. But uh, well, it, well, if you watch the first episode, it's going to have the seeds in it. All right, that'll, that'll probably be a turnoff. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not really an incentive for me. All right, well, let's move on to our next track. Why do I cry? By the remains. Why do I cry? Because you can't seem to make her yours. <laughs> you guys could all have seen us all bopping along to this song this is a real head bobber oh yeah it is yeah this one's great like this is definitely the best of the three to this point in this episode yeah this is another this is another repeat band they showed up on original nuggets and disc one with don't look back a song that is awesome but, but we already talked about yeah. that i actually like this one better but they're both great songs mm-hmm. yeah uh i just want to note first that the seeds are followed by the remains i don't know if this is intentional sequencing but i really like it uh, you kind of got it's kind of opposites right there <laughs> um and just like the last song it's sort of a, it's a really nice tonal contrast with the band's song from the original comp uh to me this is just a really pleasurable melody to hear through from beginning to end just uh, bobbing my head up and down all the while uh, uh, it convinced me that I should buy the one disc complete remains discography, and that went about as well as it goes with most Nuggets bands. <laughs> I have that too. It is okay. Again, I like the sound. In terms of uh, complete discographies I've bought from Nuggets band, it's not as good as the Electric Prunes, but it is considerably better than Mouse and the Traps. And if that doesn't make you all rush out and buy that disc, then nothing will. Yeah. We're going to have to rank all of the like full discographies we've heard from Nuggets bands at some point. 
Yeah, I like this one a lot too. The The opening line is really good. I would lose all my blues. I like that rhyme. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that opening line in something else. Like I've heard this song somewhere, but I like thinking about it, I can't place it. Like I know I've heard this song somewhere because that like opening is really, uh, really memorable. And I feel like I'd heard it elsewhere, but I can never place it. Well, you've probably heard that rhyme in about 8,000 other songs because, yeah. I mean, while the rhyme scheme in this song is very clever, I like all the internal rhymes. The actual words are of the extremely generic Moon in June variety. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't hold that against it because this is still just a really fun song and I don't expect fabulous eloquence from Nuggets artists. That's just not the point. It's just a fun song and that's all I really want. The entire melody is syncopated. I didn't. I didn't realize that until now. It's a really cool effect. I would lose all my blues. Mm-hmm. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's um, on the offbeat. So unless anybody has anything else, let's uh, move on to the Bro Brummels with Laugh Laugh. Yes, please. A delightful little song. Love it. Don't mind my preaching to you I said don't trust them, baby, now you know You don't learn everything there is to know at school Wouldn't believe me when I gave advice I said that he was a tease If you won't help, you better ask me nice So be sincere, convince me with a pretty please in December 1964, which is technically outside the Nuggets timeline if you're going to get strict about it, but Uh, it didn't. (laughs) I was was trying to do the siren. It didn't actually hit the charts until February 1965, so we're going to scoot it in on a technicality. I guess Just in case any of you guys were, you know, like leaving this up to us. It was a hit during the time of original Nuggets. Yeah. So the Bo Brummels were from San Francisco, specifically the North Beach neighborhood, which Rich put in our notes. I assume that means something to you. I just, uh, it just means don't try to park there. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> even less so than any other part of San Francisco. It's a tourist okay. nightmare. Oh, I've been there once for like two hours. It, not really long enough to get to know the town. So the band is named after Bo Brummel, who was a real person. He was a famous style icon in the Regency era in England, late 18th, early 19th centuries. And pretty much invented the concept of a dandy or, you know, like a really sharp dresser. I guess at one point they were called metrosexuals, but I don't know if that's current terminology. I haven't heard that in years. I know. (laughs) And he went to Oxford University where, according to Wikipedia, I love this, by his own example, he made cotton stockings and dingy cravats a thing of the past. How dare he, like, uh, deprecate (laughs) the concept of of a, quote, dingy cravat. Why well, I'm wearing a dingy cravat as we speak. <laughs> so passe. So his whole Wikipedia page is very over the top, much like the man himself seems to have been, and it's definitely worth your time. 
As for the band, rumor has it they chose to name themselves after this guy because that way they would come right after the Beatles in the alphabet. And therefore, you know, when people were flipping through Beatles records, when they came to the end and were right there, hey, look, it's the Bo Brummels. Why don't we give them a try? It's, it's the Megadeth Metallica approach. Yeah. The band denies this. But honestly, if I were them, I would go ahead and take credit for it because this is very, very clever. It's a great strategy. This reminds me of uh, something where um, I don't know if this is true, but this is what I've heard. There was um, a solo artist by the name of E, and he put out an album, and then he wanted to form a band, and he wanted to make sure that um, his- You're talking about the Eels? Yes, I am. He yeah. wanted to make sure the name was right next to him, so he went with Eels because it was so close to E, but then he forgot that, oh, E-A, and it, you know everything comes after that, so he forgot about you know the Eagles- and a bunch of other ea bands yeah mr e of beautiful blues fame and if if he didn't do that the eels would be more famous than the eagles good job (laughs) e way to go so back to the bo brummels because the eels weirdly are not on nuggets yeah (laughs) they didn't make a very big mark on the american music scene despite their very clever clever marketing strategy they only had one other hit which was called just a little it actually charted a little higher than this one and i heard it on the radio today weirdly enough now laugh laugh i love this song i love it i love it i love it thanks again oldies 104.3 i was really surprised to find it here on nuggets because i would have sworn to you that the bo brummels were british not only are they named for a famous Brit, but this is a very, very Merseyside sound. It really they did is. they imitated it really yeah. well. And the band apparently encouraged people to think that by dressing up in Beatles suits and spreading rumors that they were British. Clever. Which does does not set them apart in any way but from not any Australian. other American band. Yeah, not Australian. That was how they could have really set themselves apart. Uh, anyhow, wonderful chord change at the chorus. I love that weepy harmonica. It reminds me a lot of the weepy violins in Walk Away, Renee. And oh, I've yeah. always, I've always been a sucker for songs with titles that sound like they're going to be happy, but then they turn out to be really sad. <laughs> this is a fantastic song. I love it. Now, I'm starting to pay more attention to the chronology of each nugget as we go along in this crazy project because I, I think this is the earliest one. Uh, since as we discussed, it almost doesn't it almost doesn't squeeze into the chronology. And it kind of shows that with this sort of like laid back California take on the Mercy Beat craze. Uh, by the way, uh, listeners, Mercy Beat just means uh, it sounds like Liverpool. It sounds like the Beatles. It's trying to imitate that. Take the ferry across the Mercy. Yeah, the Mercy is the, the river that runs through Liverpool. I think everybody knows that. Uh, we have to explain everything. <laughs> we do. Point. Just in case. It's also funny that this is what was coming from the San Francisco of 1964, as opposed to, say, a few years later. Time, man. Time has come today. Really, only one thing to say about this one that everybody else hadn't already said, which is that it's got, like, a great chorus and then a nice, like, post-chorus thing. The original, but the actual verses. So, it's exactly Love Potion Number 9 by the Clovers, right? Whoa! Yeah, it's Love Potion Number 9. Oh, yeah, it is, huh? Yeah. It is! I mean, they do it like an interesting thing with it, because the chorus is totally different. Then there's the real nice post-chorus bit, like I said. But I I can't hear this without singing Love Potion number nine over it. And then when the verse, <sighs> then when the melody goes in a different direction than Love Potion number nine, I'm annoyed, because now I'm like, aw, I wanted Love Potion number nine. <laughs> How did I never hear that? I still like this song better, although Love Potion Number Nine is also very, very. Oh, good. it's certainly it's certainly a more complicated, well-written song than Love Potion Number Nine. It's just I've heard Love wow. Potion Number Nine so much. 
Oh, I have to listen to that now. That's amazing. I can't believe I never heard it before. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a mashup waiting to happen. Or maybe it already has. <laughs> anyway, the song is lovely. It's a nugget that you can play for grandma. Yeah. Hey, Mike, make us that mashup, would you? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Anyway, up next, uh, The Little Black Egg by the Nightcrawlers. Yay! What a lovely song. It's so cute and weird. I don't care what they say. I wish it was Christmas today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna keep it anyway. I won't let them stretch their necks. Just in my little bag. Specs. Oh, you adorable little weirdo. What an adorable little song. Cute. The Little Black Egg was initially released in 1965, but it didn't, it didn't actually chart until its third re-release in 1967 when it finally hit number 85. These guys are from Daytona Beach, Florida, and this one has a this is a cute song with a cute story. Um, the Nightcrawlers never actually made it big, but they got the chance to open for the Beach Boys at a lo- at a local ballpark in 1965. Uh, this was right before Easter, and the band was asked to write a song for it. Uh, so they threw together this charming little nugget, which has absolutely nothing to do with Easter, as far as I can tell. Oh, eggs. Yeah, it's about eggs. That's a, it's a, a very loose connection. <laughs> yeah, I mean, besides eggs. Yeah. Yeah. The, the song was a regional and eventually minor national hit, uh, but it didn't actually become more famous until a bunch of bands started covering it. Uh, you, uh, if you if you listen to a lot of 80s power pop, you're well familiar with this song. It's been covered by the Primitives, uh, the Lemonheads, and, and most famously, the Cars. Uh, and it's true, there is no My Best Friend's Girl without this song. There's just no way. <laughs> I don't know what was wrong with the record-buying public in 1965 that this wasn't a bigger hit. It's so good. It's just, it's bizarre and ridiculous and charming as hell. You know, songs that start with, I don't care what they say, are generally about forbidden love, but not like this. It's just, it's a sincere expression of eternal devotion to his weird little speckled egg that he found. And I have to wonder if it's a metaphor for something, but if it is, I don't get it. And I'm quite happy to take this at face value because it's just adorable. I did read some speculation that it's about interracial marriage in segregated Florida, but y- no, it's not. The song was such a was such a toss off, like literally, that I can't see it having too much thematic density. No, no. Like I think it's I think it's the best song of this particular batch of uh, songs we're doing for this series. Um, just a beautiful, like, arpeggiated guitar line, just kind of like the birds, like, not as good as the best bird mm-hmm. stuff, but a real nice, like, guitar line, like, a really good melody. The lyrics are whatever the lyrics are, but uh, I do remember, like, growing up, like, my dad would occasionally mention this song as, like, an example of, like, a weird song that he used to hear on the radio but couldn't remember much about. 
And then I got the nugget set, and I'm like, ah, oh, there it is. And that was that was fun for me. But like the lyric about just being weirdly in love with like an egg or whatever just makes me think about Danny DeVito's <laughs> character in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and his weird egg obsession. <laughs> or else like like, you know, Edith Massey in the playpen in Pink Flamingos. <laughs> and how eggs don't ripen. <laughs> eggs don't ripen. <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> that's that's my critic. That's my the critic reference for this episode, obviously, oh, Amanda. That show that I watched every episode when it was on, and I remember nothing. This is becoming a big mass of references. So we should probably that move on. Yeah. Well, uh, I just want to I just want to say that this song was a huge influence on an entire genetic strain of music that I adore. So I'm inclined to love it. Um, and there there used to be a great blog called Little Hits. Uh, Dave Weigel introduced me to it. it. It posted MP3s of a lot of great. 80s indie singles and non-singles and a lot of it was very much in this vein um maybe i'll try to i'll try to figure out i'll try to find like a, a list of some of the songs that were on it and see if they're on youtube mm-hmm. or spotify yeah sounds good all right and with that uh let's move on to our next track the gants with i wonder wonder. not that song that's runaway yes <laughs> I don't know why I'm shy when she's around But I know when she leaves my head hangs down Is it her looks, her ways that makes me care? I always seem to see her released in 1967 this was actually the b-side to the gantz single called greener days which is also a good song you should go look that up i really liked it a lot they're from greenwood mississippi and never got real successful they probably would have if they'd been able to commit to the band full time but none of them were able to do that for various reasons they did have some early success and opened for the animals for a little while uh, but they just weren't able to maintain it which is a shame because this is a good song and so is greener days They later recorded a cover of Gloria and tried hard to get it released, but their label just wasn't having it. But their arrangement was good, and it later became a hit for, drumroll, The Shadows of Night. Our favorites. Yeah, who seemed to be the... Everything gonna be be all right. Michael McDonald of Nuggets. So Sid Herring, one of the band members, uh, wound up as a staff songwriter for Liberty Records in L.A., and their singles are perennial favorites on compilations from that era they're on a whole bunch of different collections well let's uh just address the elephant in the room right away this is in my life by the beatles what yeah oh what phil what what are you doing to me (laughs) it sounds more like you know my name look up the number to me (laughs) so like i was listening to this like and i've long thought like you know okay this is obviously the exact same melody as uh in my life exactly the same So I figured, like, I don't want to sound like I'm being too clever coming up with this. Let me pull out the liner notes to the Nugget set, which I am now waving around like you people at home can see me. And uh, sure enough, it says that, quote, the track's melody owes a little to the Beatles in my life. It does not owe a little to the Beatles in my life. It is in my life by the Beatles, right down to the guitar imitating the harpsichord solo, essentially note for note. It's just kind of rearranged like one of those like sliding block puzzles. 
And for the liner notes to admit owes a little, you know, translated, that means straight up plagiarized. Yeah, it's absolutely plagiarized. I'm shocked they didn't get sued. I can't believe I didn't notice that. (laughs) Well, yeah, if you're wondering why you think it's such a good song, that's why. (laughs) That is why. (laughs) So, like... Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, um, Amanda, I saw saw your notes for this song, and I thought you were playing coy. Like, you were just not going to mention that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'll go ahead and take credit for being that smart, but no, I didn't pick up on it. I can't believe it. So, like, if we just treat this as basically an unauthorized cover of In My Life... It's a real nice one. It's not as good as the Beatles version, you know, obviously. But, uh, I mean, it was a nice melody there. It's a nice melody here. And the band has, like, a pretty nice little arrangement of this totally original song. So I don't think this actually got un- uh, unearthed until it was included on the 1980 comp Pebbles Volume 8. And the whole Pebbles series is honestly worth its own podcast and responsible for a lot of the songs on the later, on disc two through four of Nuggets. It's amazing. Um, yeah, I, I bet the Pebbles folks included this as a gag. Like, look at this song. Like, look at this rearranged in my life. But it's charming knowing that this song comes from the Deep South, apparently. And honestly, Greener Days sounds kind of like Eleanor Rigby to me, though not nearly as much as this sounds like in my life. I have not actually heard Greener Days. I will have to uh, dig in. And- well, it, it, it has those spiky strings that pretty much were only in Eleanor Rigby uh. Before, uh, Yeah, in rock music. All right, well, I'm, I'm just sitting here speechless because all the notes I wrote down are completely irrelevant now. <laughs> I, okay, uh, here's, the, <laughs> here's all the other stuff I thought this sounded like. <laughs> oh, my God. This is delightful. Well, it's, like, it's, 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 like, it's like how The Simpsons got to every joke first. The Beatles got to every song first. <laughs> So I did write down that I can't stop laughing. So the opening drum riff sounds exactly like Time Won't Let Me. <laughs> I don't know how I noticed that stupid nonsense. Oh, it's a classic Time Won't Let Me. In my defense, I don't have the Nuggets liner notes. <laughs> so <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'm going to calm down now. <laughs> For what it's worth, I, it took it took me forever to notice that uh, Tears for Fears, the sowing the seeds of love, is I am the walrus. <laughs> what are you guys uh, doing to leave me? All oh, you're didn't... rearranging my entire perception of reality. Leave all of this wow, in. Never that either. Leave all of this in. <laughs> well, we just blew up the podcast. <laughs> Watch Amanda lose her mind in real time. Anyhow. I also noticed that the vocalist sounds exactly like Peter Noon from Herman's Hermits. And according to Wikipedia, he had a physical resemblance to him as well. And I guess they played that up. I, I'd like, okay, I have, I have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is just blown to pieces. Not as good as Keith Moon's version of In My Life. Anyway, can we move on? Can we yeah, move let's on? Please. <laughs> Please. Oh, man. Let's move on. What else? What do the rest of these songs sound like that I didn't pick up on? We'll find out as we move on to <laughs> The Five Americans, I See the Light. We're exactly half of this because we're 2.5 Americans. <laughs> it's true. Oh, 
just when you thought it was over. The Five Americans, I See the Light, was released in uh, 1966 and hit number 26 on the Hot 100. And as you can plainly hear, that song is Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas. (laughs) Very funny. (laughs) Uh, They come from Durant, Oklahoma, though that's actually part of the greater Dallas area, and that's where the band operated and performed. Uh, Their name is meant to strike a contrast with British invasion bands, who were all bugs and creatures and things, while these guys were just Five Americans. Yay! That that keyboard on the song is awesome and is just a, a Vox Continental electronic organ, the same instrument you hear on, say, like, 96 Tears, Light My Fire, Inagata De Vida, and just countless other gigantic 60s hits. It's a good sound. Um, I need to bring it back. Yeah, yeah, I really like the way that they use it here. Like, all the famous examples that I just listed sound really 60s, whereas the organ bit here sounds, like, really spacey in 70s, like you're blasting off or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which contrasts really nicely with the rest of the song, which sounds kind of, like, yardbirdsy. Yeah, well, after all these bands who were pretending to be British or Australian or whatever, you know, these guys were like, okay, we're American. We're just going to own it. And this is a really fun song. And I really like that moment around a minute in when you think it's over, but then they fake you out. And it does a weird little psychedelic twist and then hops right back into the song. They do it again later on. And it's interesting every time. I love that little touch. This is one of those songs, like, it never makes an impression on me. It's like, every time I look at it in the track listing, I'm like, how does that one go again? Like, I never remember it. But then every time it starts playing, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's this one. And it's, like, really fun. It's like a cool little, like, two-minute, like, burst of energy. I don't, like, I don't think it's particularly memorable, but boy, do I like this thing while it's actually playing. Well, like, let's move on to the last uh, song in this particular batch of nuggets with who do you love by the Woolies? Get this out of the way up top. This sounds exactly like Come Sail Away by Styx. Right. Yeah, I was going to say that too. Or maybe, yeah. maybe Renegade. It's painfully obvious. I was thinking more that uh. it sounds a little bit like In Yo Face by the Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Phil. You're just, you're you're always bringing the, the, the major insights. Whoop, whoop. <sighs> yep. Anyhow, okay. This sounds nothing like any of those songs. <laughs> I'm just trying to say face. You've never heard In Your Face. I might not be kidding. <laughs> How did you guess that I have never heard that song? <laughs> so, the Woolies released their cover of Who Do You Love in 1966. It got to number 95 on the Hot 100. And, of course, is a cover of the 1956 Bo Diddley song. 
Uh, there is very little information available about this band other than their names, which is good information. One guy was named Stormy Rice, which is amazing. I love that name. They put out three singles in the 60s and two albums in the 70s, which seems weird. None of them seems to have been very successful, uh, but they did get back together and put out a new album in 2009 of collected singles from 1965 to 1975, but when I clicked on the link on their website, which looks like it was built in about 1998, it took me to a page announcing that I had won a cruise, which does very little to enhance the Willie's credibility. Did the page have uh, have frames on it and an under-construction banner? It uh, sure did. And a counter? There was a... There was a frame, no under construction banner. Did it invite you to punch the monkey to win a free computer? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, no. So anyhow, back to the Woolies. I've I've never actually liked Who Do You Love very much, but I realize now it's because I mostly know it from George Thorogood, and I don't like George Thorogood. I never have. Uh, This arrangement is really, really good. That opening yell is terrific, and there's a lot more emphasis placed on those extremely weird lyrics rather than, you know, Thurgood, I, I assume that's him, I don't know that much about his band, showing off on the guitar. I, I don't enjoy that. But <laughs> in this version, I like how they switch back and forth between moods and the bridge. There's a just kind of a dark and drum-heavy vibe, and then it switches to a little bit more bright and bouncy. I like that contrast a lot. It's a really great performance and has totally redeemed the song for me. I just want to note that the Woolies are from Lansing, Michigan, which there's not really much to do there. But as a as as a relatively recent Michigan transplant, I approve of that. Uh, and apparently the Woolies were trained musicians who could read music. So this song has kind of a precision you don't really get on a lot of nuggets, except when like trained studio ringers are involved. But these were just a bunch of kids, I think. Like one of the, the guitarists was literally 15. Wow. Um, anyway, the song is catchy, but... Uh, I don't know, I like a little more spontaneity in my nuggets, so it's not one of my favorites, but it, it's cool that a 15-year-old was involved in this. Yeah, it's true. This is a little bit more, well, a lot more strict than most of the looser garagey nuggets, so it, it does sound a little bit out of place. So, much like Amanda, I never really liked the George Thorogood version of this, but I'm also not crazy about this one. So, I've heard, I don't know, 20 different versions of Who Do You Love by different bands over the years. It's very popular amongst, like, a certain type of band, usually kind of jammy bands. This version's, like, kind of upbeat, but, like, I like this song a little bit better when it's, like, darker and kind of more, uh, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, just darker. Let's just go with that. Like, but it's been done by, like, The Doors, who did it really well. Oh, yeah, they did. I'm going to throw in a recommendation for my personal favorite version of it, which is by Quicksilver Messenger Service. You might have heard of their uh, probably most acclaimed LP, Happy Trails, where um, all of side one is Who Do You Love? It's 25 minutes long, and I guess they subdivided it into tracks for some reason, where they gave it things like, Who Do You Love? Where You Love? Why Do You Love? What Do You Love? I'm guessing they were getting paid based on like track numbers or whatever because it's one long live jam. That's good. It didn't um that it didn't feel enough like a fill recommendation until you started describing how long it was and all the sub and all the little pieces. Right. So. But there's live versions of this that are probably better than that one, but like if you want to hear like, you know, this song but for 25 minutes, uh the most common place you would encounter that is Happy Trails by Quicksilver Messenger Service, which I would recommend. This version, I mean, it's good, but like, again, I've probably heard 20 versions of Who Do You Love, and this is not in the top 10. All right, is that it for this set? I think that's it. I think so. 
what do you call this record with all these songs? This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is comp, yeah, yeah. This is. Thank you for listening to This Is Comp, part of the Discord and Rhyme podcast. If you'd like early access to these episodes, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash discordpod and pledge at the $3 level or above. So if you're listening to this for free on our feed and you're like, this is great, I don't want to wait for more episodes, I want more of these, like, you know, wonderful commentators right now, then, you know, give us $3 and there'll be at least three more episodes waiting for you right now, assuming you listen to this when it comes out. Our opening theme is performed by the Hector Collectors. You can find more of their music at the hectorcollectors.bandcamp.com. The closing theme you're hearing right now is performed by Kenneth Crayley. You can find his own music at kennethcrayley.bandcamp.com. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-K-R-A-Y-L-I-E.bandcamp.com. You can find his band Casinos at casinos.bandcamp.com. Music for the theme was originally composed by Andy Partridge of XTC, with new lyrics by Adam Smith of the Hector Collectors. Visit our website, discordpod.com, for more info about the show and a list of upcoming episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at DiscordPod. Send us a message there. You can follow me personally at PA Maddox. You can find Amanda at Magnetic Inc. 67. And you can find Rich at Zone Trope. See you for the next batch of nuggets, and be ever wonderful. You broke my brain, Phil. <laughs> <laughs>